an icon of independent cinema before it even had that name. The film was an inventive, funny caper on an extraordinary career. Those are words from director Edgar Wright on Agnes Farda and J.R.'s 2017 film, Faces Places. Seeing Faces in Movies is a podcast where each month I focus on the works of a different director or cinematographer, and each week I invite a guest on to discuss a film in the artist's filmography. I'm your host, Lucia Moroni, and today we're discussing Visage Village, otherwise known as Faces Places, which is the fourth and final film part of the Agnes Farda month. A quick synopsis of the film, director Agnes Farda and photographer and muralist J.R. journey through a rural France and form an unlikely friendship. So the film stars Agnes Varda as herself and J.R. as himself. It's written by Agnes Varda and J.R., cinematography by Roberto DeAngelis, Claire Deguet, Julia Fabry, Nicolas Guichetot, Romain Le Bonnier, Raphael Minnesota, and Valentin Vigne. It's edited by Maxime Fotsi Garcia and Agnes Varda, and music by Mathieu Chedid. So today my guest is Jane Waldner, and we have known each other for a long time probably longer than we care to admit only due to the fact that we were teenagers <laughs> when we met. We were actually like 18, 18, 19, and now we're slightly older, but only slightly. We met in film school and we saw each other grow and evolve through that, go through many phases, learn about film, doing projects on funny games together. And she's someone who's been in my life for so long and I value her and her opinion on film, and even more so her opinion on TV, because she's a master at that, something I am very unfamiliar with. So whenever she recommends something TV-wise, book-wise, I listen. Jane, I'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what your relationship is to cinema and Agnes Varda specifically. First of all, that just made me want to cry. That was so sweet. What a lovely, lovely introduction. I am so happy to note have known you since yes, we were 19 years old and now we're only we're only slightly older, only slightly. When we were when we were film scholars of young in our youth, I think my first experience with Agnes Varda was at York in some class where we would have watched uh, Cleo the Saint Cassettes. Yes, in mm-hmm. the French. <laughs> and because we're also both French speakers, we'll make this incredibly pretentious, which was a really exciting experience. I was not originally in the film program. I switched into it in my second year because I had taken a film 101 course, absolutely loved it. And it really sparked this joy and interest in me that I wanted to continue on so and that is when I met you and I thought oh my god this girl is so cool she knows everything and I felt so out of my league and so out of my depth but you never made me feel first of all that I did not know what I was talking about I think the what I remember or one little thing was that I think I said I didn't like the flight of the concords but that was because I didn't know <laughs> I don't think I'd even <laughs> even seen it <laughs> It was a really, really great few years of seeing movies that I never would have been exposed to or exposed myself to. Seeing that Agnes Varda movie really just, it was exciting to watch a female director from the 60s 
when we still have so few now Mm -hmm. doing something so revolutionary and so beautiful and yeah, and so moving. And so I've seen several of her films since then, but there's so many and I have my criterion, my criterion subscription ready to go to to watch even more. I haven't seen everything yet, but I think this month that I've spent with her has inspired me to go through the rest. And yeah, we definitely watched Cleo and it was great. I've mentioned it in prior episodes, but we were screening that during the, the French New Wave week. And I can't remember who the prof was for. It must have been film art class. And I don't know if it was Tamanuga who was the prof It may have then. been Tamanuga, yeah. I feel like she was the type who would be like, listen, the French New Wave, I could be showing you like a Truffaut or Godard. We did watch a lot of Godard. But she showed us Varda for the French New Wave week, which I think was very formative and I think important to show a woman when that era is so male heavy but good to know that I wasn't a dickhead in film school (laughs) no you were so lovely I recall all of our time together in those years very fondly um especially yes our our funny games projects god what is time just like it's crazy that we could just spend hours like creating something about Michael Haneke and like I'd be totally chill. It's just like, yeah, I know that was expected of us. That was something like they wanted from us. It makes me, it makes me happy to think about it. It was a very, it was a very lovely and like eye-opening time arts-wise. And mm-hmm. I still can remember so many of the movies that we watched quite vividly mm-hmm. because it was like all you could do is like you were just focused on this thing and it was like learning about techniques and and why these directors chose to do these things and yeah and and we're we're so young i know being exposed to some like pretty radical stuff and i won't bring up um our nemesis stamp brackage but uh We were exposed to some wild stuff in film school. And I think, yes, not having a French new wave section totally devoted to the fucking men was pivotal. And I I saw something when I was, because I rewatched our movie yesterday, I saw something that said, Agnes Varda was the grandmother of French new wave. She's like, I was 30. Yeah. (laughs) That's been a conversation that's come up. I did read something about that because I also am just like, why is she just not the mother if you're going to go? I think someone brought up and it was a, a woman who was writing about it. And she, I guess, was trying to justify that term of being like, she is essentially because she, what she was doing was so different from everyone else. And she was creating her own thing that she was kind of the ancestor to her own wave as opposed to doing the similar stuff that the men were doing but she just happened to be a woman so i can kind of see it that way but i don't know that i love that term still i don't think i would call her that i would just say she's the founder a hundred percent but i i accept that reasoning and that rationale of that she was so far ahead of her time she was Mm -hmm. like her own predecessor i think that is kind of an interesting way of looking at it but i cringe a little at the term grandmother because she was so young and she was working like she she'd been doing it all her life maybe by faces places we can call her grandmother i don't think we can do that at left lines are cool like that's kind of wild (laughs) yeah absolutely not because she was like 26 when she made that it's interesting the way they talk about 
women in film who are like pioneers versus men like has anyone ever been called the grandfather of anything at least to my knowledge i don't know i certainly can't think of one and if they were given that name they were probably given it when they were old and not at the very beginning of like a really illustrious innovative career <laughs> which we will get into so just a couple quick fun facts about the film so this was nominated for an oscar for best documentary feature and she was 89 years old at the time and she became the oldest person nominated for any competitive oscar I remember when that happened and like they had a picture of all of the nominees and she, I don't think she was there, but they, she sent her cutout. Oh, uh, so it was so perfect with the cat. I think that cutout just kind of went around because I remember the having it at the light box. It was at TIFF. Yeah, I remember it being at TIFF. For any listener who is not from Toronto, what we're talking about is TIFF, which is the Toronto International Film Festival, has their own their own theater. That's where we saw this movie, actually. We saw it together. I'm pretty sure it was the Toronto premiere. According to my letterbox, it was April 2nd, 2018. So if we want to go back in the archives, mm-hmm. I do believe, though, that was, uh, I think the movie came out in 2017, but it only came to Toronto in 2018. And it was like a sold out screening. It was a mixed crowd that you were seeing definitely more women there, which is always fun. Yeah, it was just a great time. Another quick fact I have was just that this film was funded via crowdfunding. And you see it at the beginning of the credits. I had forgotten that until, you know, the film opening with a little animation of them just walking across and all the names. And you're like, oh, okay, this is one of those kind of, you know, GoFundMe movies, which I would have, I would have donated money to. That, that being said, though, back in like 2017, definitely would have been extremely poor. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a, a quick $10 donation, I think, from, from both of them. <laughs> yeah, but would have done it, which is like, you know, it's the thought that counts. To have my name in there, to have our names in there, can you imagine? That would have been a very, very cool thing to have been a part of. So I think, I think we're ready to get into Faces Places or Visage Village. For me, essentially, this movie is a road movie, right? They're traveling from place to place they're meeting different people i love road movies because you never spend too much time with one thing you're moving from one place to another and which makes the story move along and like it's not a long movie anyway but the pacing is great in this because i never felt like oh i need to check my watch like i'm bored it just was like moving along and i think it's especially because Varda herself is such a great storyteller and she really cares about the people she's talking to and she gets the best out of them and yes there's editing involved but you know she's asking them questions about them as a person whenever i watch her documentaries this one and something like the gleaners and i i always feel like because she always makes everyone feel special and you're watching these people you know you're walking by people every day you're seeing people and everyone has their own story and everyone has stuff going on in their lives but we don't think about it because we don't need to right but she's the type of person who's interested in that so there's a lot of stories in this I wanted to talk about some that stuck out to you because we are meeting different people, but there's some that you remember over others. So which ones, I guess, stuck out to you? I like that you brought up her other documentaries because I agree. I think the only other documentary of hers that I've seen is the Black Panthers one, which is excellent. Mm -hmm. And it is 
such an intimate showing of stories of people that are not seen. And especially mm-hmm. in Faces Places, they're going into these very small towns. One of the gentlemen they meet, I think there's only about 140 people in, in his village, which is unbelievable. Like They're going and talking to people who will never really be interviewed or recognized on a grand scale. And all of them have these lives that they're living that they're like all of them are leading these lives that are quote-unquote unremarkable but Mm -hmm. Agnes Varda and JR her her partner in the movie go and and seek them out and find these treasures that everyone has and somehow all of them have just magnificently large walls to use for for artistic purposes it's so lovely to just hear these little slices of life. And yes, and these like perfect little pocket-sized vignettes of different places that they they go. My favorite, I think, and this was the one that I realized I remembered most vividly from when we saw it a few years back was the dock workers' wives. And there was something just so moving and so beautiful because, you know, you think, oh, you know, they're, they're going to the docks, they're going to showcase, you know, the dock workers themselves. And they do a little bit, but it's, you know, showing, you know, the women who work beside these men, looking at their lives, and then creating these towering figures of them. I remembered this, and I was so excited when it happened. It was when they opened the doors on their hearts, because they painted them on shipping containers. They open their hearts and the women are inside their own hearts. And there's something so magical and beautiful, two of whom are, they're so excited to be up there. One of them was a little bit scared, one did not want to be up there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can can understand uh, both feelings. I've never seen anything like that. And just like these women, these like small life-size to us women versus their, you know, giant art representations was so lovely to see and I believe that's one of the closing uh art projects they do and it was just Mm -hmm. it's magic it's truly magic what they what they're able to create the other one is the one that they create on the beach on the bunker that has been it was an old bunker from the war that the city tossed off a cliff so that I guess in case it ever fell they did it themselves and it was a bunker on the beach it was this weird concrete structure and they pasted a picture of Agnes Varda's of her friend he was a photographer but he also modeled for her and Mm -hmm. that was the one that really showed like the ephemeralness and like the impermanence of the art that JR creates because they pasted on the concrete and by the next day the tide has washed it away and there's Mm -hmm. something really lovely to that as well it's just knowing that this art can you know last for a day a year 10 years and at some point you know the rain could wash it away and that's life (laughs) like it's so simple and just so, and, and no one is sad about it. It's not, you know, like it's not a tragedy. They know it's going to happen, but you still do it anyway because mm-hmm. it's beautiful. 
that I think that's like what works so well between both their mediums because his art might not last forever on those things, but they've like imprinted it on films. So we're still seeing it. So it did last. It just might not be physically there for you to see, but it's there forever in some sort of capacity, which is great. I think those stories also the two that you mentioned are are really great. And I like that the people that they're putting up on these walls, these murals, they're getting their honest opinion about it. Because you said there was that one woman who felt, you know, a little uneasy about even just being up there. But then there's also the one woman who they took the picture of and she was in the dress with the umbrella and she's like there's people coming by every day taking pictures of this and she feels uncomfortable and you could see the, the discomfort in there and they kept that they could have edited it out and be like no everyone's so happy about this but they were honest some people didn't realize to what effect it would have on other people and it makes them uncomfortable which is totally valid i don't know if i would want my picture up there or i would just be like can it be somewhere where i don't have to see it every day <laughs> like yeah. i don't want my face being it's a grand scale up there but i do love the mixing of their mediums i guess i was gonna read this to later but i think it's actually relevant now so jr i i didn't know anything about him prior to this movie i had never heard of him no me neither i i think his art is very interesting and he's a very interesting guy i'm wondering how you feel about him because on this watch I spent most of this movie kind of being annoyed by him up until the end. And I don't know if it's just me getting older and me not really being into art bros. Like, I just don't <laughs> really trust photographers, especially male photographers. I was like, your vibe is off, your sunglasses and your little hat. This guy's kind of annoying me and I don't know that he's taking Angus seriously enough or maybe it's just his personality before I get more into them both, I'm wondering how you feel about JR. It's so funny because like at the beginning, they they say how old they each are and like she's 88 and he's 33 and like we're 33. And there's yeah. something like odd about it, like watching the movie when you're 27 versus yeah. when you're 33, you're the same age as this guy. And you're like, there is like a little bit of like arrested development. There is a little bit of this sort of like, keep seeing this clip of Jeremy Strong saying a merry prankster and I just keep thinking of like <laughs> using the term he seems like this like he does these things that are so beautiful but he himself has a bit of like a surface level we don't learn that much about him we don't really learn why he started this kind of art how he makes money like that was something that I'm always you know curious about. like how what is his business an artist such a weird and fickle business yeah. We, we barely even get an introduction of like how they meet. They have this little jokey scene in the beginning of like, well, we didn't meet here. We didn't meet there. How did you meet? Like, what was what was the connection? What was the thing that brought them together? Like their art forms are both quite unique, but I feel like I learned a whole lot more about Agnes Varda, who is the more mm -hmm. compelling character person <laughs> in general. Yeah, JR with his hat and his glasses. I appreciate that. You know, sometimes people have their their tics and that is something that, you know, he has his and she calls it a costume and I love that she calls it a costume. Yeah. It was not it was not an even enough distribution of information amongst the two of them. I think that what you said is exactly right on the money there. Like I think it's a persona he's putting on, which is totally fine and valid because he's an artist and he wants to be perceived a certain way. That's why he's behind the shades and the he's wears the hat. 
And Varda is more of an open person who likes to insert herself in her medium and her artwork because that's just how she relates to people. I have to assume probably at least 90% of the people coming to this movie are coming for her and are discovering him later. I think they do mention that they met because she saw his artwork and I think she sought him out and then they met and I guess they got along. But yeah, they are kind of, you know, not as open about how they even began to start working together because this is the first time she'd ever done co-directed something. But what you said actually ties into like something I was going to talk about in terms of not learning too much about him. The only kind of background sorry that we get is when they go to his grandmother's who is just turning a hundred I think or she's about to or she had just Mm -hmm. and Vardish is so excited to meet this woman because she's like I one she just you know because he talks about her and obviously she's someone who was very formative in his life but she just was like maybe I can get some more information out of her and the grandmother is just you know sticking by his side and be like no I'm not going (laughs) to give you more than that he wants to be put out there. She's like, yeah, he still wears his sunglasses when he comes to visit me. And I thought that was like really sweet. It kind of breaks down his walls too, because he just comes across as very two-dimensional versus Varda being like an open book. And that kind of made him seem more relatable. Despite the fact that this movie is about other people, they do talk about themselves. And Agnes also talks a lot about herself. There is a scene in this movie that I had completely forgotten about. And it was the eyeball scene with the needle. I don't often squirm, but that actually made me uncomfortable. And I wonder if I just blocked it out. Her doing that and then immediately going and like being like, oh, yeah, it's like in Chien de Lou. I was like, yeah. girl. Yeah, I know, because I immediately thought of that. And I was like, oh, I'm bringing Rob back. And then they show it. And I was like, they show it. They show the clip. Yeah, no, I I absolutely do not remember that. There is a lot of uncomfortably close eye shots in in the movie. Though her her eyes and, you know, her like her her vision is a bit of a plot point and a thorough like a through line throughout the movie, which which is lovely. But no, Mm -hmm. I I did not remember slash need the uh, the needle in the eye. But I do appreciate that she's like, I'm a film scholar and I will compare this to. Yes. And I was like, she's just like me. Like, she's just like us. <laughs> like, truly, it's like, wow. Any life moment, I'm just like, oh, it's just like this one movie. <laughs> and yeah. just because I feel like, you know, that's the only way I can relate to anything. It's been like, oh, I saw this in a movie once. And there is one scene with the eyes with the the letters there and she's like, make them dance. And I thought that was really cute. It's just a, a, like visually, this movie is beautiful. Which ties into what I want to talk about, because this is, it's very obviously shot on digital. But I think that that works for this because one, we're now later on in her career and it's a digital world. This is like, you know, they must have obviously shot it 2016. I think it works well with the people they're talking to because it's very rural people. Some of them have adopted more technology in their lives. Some haven't. But having them imprinted on such a modern medium is gorgeous. And the way they shoot people, the way they shoot like the landscapes are gorgeous. 
wondering for for yourself who has seen some of her older stuff and the differences how you felt about the digital being used and how it ties into what JR does because that's more digital as well yeah no I I think it's it's so unbelievably beautiful and it makes everyone look beautiful Mm -hmm. everyone is so striking and especially when you see them printed out on on this large scale format she has a way of making everyone look just like they were meant to be on film. They are meant to be seen. And I don't know how she does it. It's such a skill. Everyone looks like they are meant to be there. They She found the most perfect people mm-hmm. for every single shot. And then those gorgeous scenes on the beach and like seeing all these different countryside villages, like my God, like France, she really knows how to show it in the best possible light. And I don't view digital film as like cold or anything like that. I have no issues with the advent of technology bar, you know, I don't need an AI version of an action star to movie. But (laughs) um, if she wanted to shoot with uh, a digital camera, all for it. Also, she was 88 or however old she was when she was doing like path of least resistance at that point. I can't imagine shooting on film would have been uh, terribly conducive. Also the amount of traveling they were doing. And it matches again, it matches JR's format as well. It matches how he does his work. I think it really worked hand in hand very well. Yeah. I mean, she's someone who's never been one for nostalgia per se. Like she's always looking back on things or related to her life, but she's so interested in what's happening in the new and what we're perceiving as people who are stuck in a different time. But no, that's just the reality. And I did like what you said about it makes everyone look really good because it does like she shoots them at their best and it's not like she's being like you know you need to be done up for something it's just their reality but she's getting the best out of them and there's that one scene it's probably one of the i think it might be the first people they meet the woman who is in the miner's house Mm -hmm. and they put up her picture and she starts crying and i was just like losing it too i was crying with her and and yes was like you know it's not sad it's beautiful you're up there forever and i was just like i thought that was really touching for her to be like you know, I know it's an emotional thing for you to see yourself mm-hmm. up there and people are trying to push you out of there. I don't know. I just feel like when she's talking to people, I'm like, I wish that I could have had a conversation with her. Even just for two seconds, they would have just probably changed my entire life. And she always has like that, you know, that standing with people. She knows how to communicate and she knows how to get others to communicate back. And I think mm-hmm. that's also like the big difference between her and JR. JR is, you know, he seems like a lovely person, like a very nice guy, but she comes in with such openness. And I think it, it really is. It's like displayed in how she even looks like she comes in wearing all these colors, her hair, you know, this like weird page boy of white and red. And she comes in and she's like, talk to me. And it's like, okay, I'll talk to you. I I also wondered, I'm like, does anyone know who she was in the, when they're talking to people? Because in our world, she's huge Mm -hmm. she's like a goddess she's like such a massive part of 
the film world and knowing about film and film history. She is a massive, massive part of it. And everyone in the movie just sort of treats her like like this nice old woman, which she also was. It just makes me wonder. I'm like, if I saw her on the street, I'd probably pass out. (laughs) Oh, but same. And I think it's (laughs) really important what you said that I also wonder, I'm like, do these people know her? Or have they heard of her name? Because I know, obviously, they're in France. So maybe she still has a name that people know. You and I had this conversation a lot because we're in our own bubble, right? You and I, Mm -hmm. who are people who are film people or even pop culture people. And then you talk to someone who doesn't, or is just a, I'm going to say they're just a regular person. (laughs) Yeah, because a casual watcher. (laughs) Yeah, regular person. And we're not regular people. And you're talking to them and you're like, Oh, yeah, there are people who don't really watch movies. Or watch movies the way that we watch movies. Or the way that you watch movies. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, so I'm just talking to a regular person now. Because that's the mass, you know. You know, even people who are into, like, big movies, they don't go back on the history. And it's totally fine because everyone has their own interests. So, like you said, she's huge to people like us people who are listening to this but to the regular person is she known especially to the people that she's talking to you know when you're being interviewed by someone like that on a film and you know that you're going to be in a film it could be like am I giving you a version of myself because I know who you are and I think this is going to be wildly viewed or I'm just like this is just a regular thing that people won't even see so I can just be myself so it is interesting that they never kind of show them acknowledging who she is or maybe or who he is because i don't know what his standing is in france that's all yeah that's a good point there is a conversation between the both of them where he says to her this is the first time you've worked at in a team directing and he's like i always work in a team like i always have and you see them in the film Mm -hmm. that they work together he's never alone so it kind of feels like a not like a him versus them but sometimes you see them kind of ribbing her a bit And I can't tell if it's just because they're so close or if it's just them actually (laughs) laughing at her. Because there's that Mm -hmm. one scene where she wants to put a picture on like this housing area that looks like it's being built. And they just kind of give her a hard time for how ugly it is. And sometimes you see them arguing where she's like, I'm done with this. It's too much wind. Or (laughs) you're talking too much. And I was like, good for you for just being like, you're bothering me. Stop talking to me. I'd also leave if there was too much wind. That was, yeah, that resonated with me. I was like, girl, I would not be standing there for that long talking to you. No. <laughs> or, <laughs> he's making her climb all these stairs. I was like, oh sure. my God. Yeah, that was, that was wild. Let the woman live. But I think, uh, I guess what I was getting at is how you read their dynamic because he is coming with people and she's on her own in a sense, but it is a co-directed film. So how their dynamic reads to you, I I think they get along well, but I don't know. Sometimes I was when I was watching it, I was like, I can't tell what the dynamic here is. Yeah, I do believe that they liked each other. I do believe that they viewed each other also as like mutual respect for both of their types of artistry. There were times in the movie that I found it hard to tell is this slightly scripted? Is this like, mm-hmm. uh, is this an organic conversation? Especially, 
Um, when we get to the end, you know, Agnes has this whole deal with getting JR to take off his sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And I, I wondered at certain aspects of how, how much was, you know, done on purpose for the flow of the movie. Because as we know, just because it's a documentary does not mean it has to be true. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I did not like his companions or his compatriots saying things to her. I'm like, you have not the right you don't yeah. no excuse you how dare you insult she's like i wanted a house with holes i found a house with holes this yeah. is what i was looking for and i got very irritated they were like this is the ugliest house in the whole town i'm like but she sees something like yeah she sees the potential here why are you discounting it it felt like silly old woman like it was like why did you drag us here and it's like why would you think that she Not that, you know, she can't make mistakes, not that she can't, you know, be Mm -hmm. wrong, but why would you not at least wonder why she had brought you here? Why wouldn't you at least consider the idea of like, oh, maybe if we did this way where he's coming through the wall like this and it goes through the the hole this way and that and the other thing why just write it off and like it was slightly infuriating that scene did hurt my heart a little bit i'm surprised they kept it in but i appreciate that they did because they must have known how it would read to people and it's just like people being people and Mm -hmm. i'm sure it just was a fine time and they got over it obviously after that but i was like dude's like she looked hurt and it she did. hurt me and i didn't like that paste the picture man like it's not gonna hurt you just let her and if she doesn't like it then fine if she likes it then fine i'm wondering if there's any other parts that you want to talk about before we get into a monumental part of this film <laughs> yes i think the one the one sweet part that well actually now i realized that that connects the monumental part so i'll, I'll hold on to it i'll hold on to it i think we've touched on the major the major aspects i do think the art that Mm -hmm. was created in the film of all these people and all the different projects especially like i love the mining one when they're reaching out to like the two different groups reaching out to each other yeah so beautiful so different and so alive so vibrant all of them really sort of burst with life even though they're they're black and white and they're pasted Mm -hmm. on a you know craggy walls i think the whole movie is bursting with life and i've never i've never seen a movie like it but it does come with a little bit of a problem (laughs) yeah so i think we're ready to get Mm -hmm. into that and we purposely waited to get into this because it's an infuriate uh, or it's just like it's very sad is what i'll say Mm -hmm. so godard is someone who's talked about actually kind of throughout this film you know mm-hmm. from the beginning because she compares him to Godard. she says oh you wearing the sunglasses and the hat reminds me of how Godard always wore his sunglasses too and the only time he took them off for me is during one of the short films she made which was in Cleo so you see that and then there's the scene when they're running through the museum the Louvre where they recreate Van der Paul. You know, you can see the, the love that she has for an old friend because they essentially grew up together in the sense of their career. Their careers were mm-hmm. formed together. They went in different directions and they might not have been as close throughout their years, but they were still people who spent so much time together. They spent time with her husband, Jacques Demi, and whatever partners <laughs> Godard had through his years also. <laughs> There's a funny story that they tell about, you know, when they were at like a, I guess, a cottage 
I don't know, French people call them cottages. <laughs> That's just like a North American thing. You know, Godot was like just reading philosophy and Anna Karina was just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and they just thought hey, that girl. was funny. JR, whether it's because he's Godard or he actually is a fan of him, he's just amazed about their relationship and a kind of present, I guess, that Farda wants to give to him is the opportunity to meet him. I had forgotten that they actually, she had actually had like an actual appointment with him. She wasn't just showing up out of the blue. I also had forgotten about that part as well. So when she mentioned we're going to meet him at 930, I'm like, she had been communicating with him or someone on his team. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Either way, he knew that they were coming. He knew she was coming. That's what upset me even more this time, because the first time I was like, oh, not that I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I was like, maybe it was just that she assumed he would be home and he wasn't. That was my recollection of it from the first time watching it. But this time, you know, they're sitting in the cafe and she can tell she's reminiscing about it and she's nervous. You can see how nervous she is. Oh, you it's radiating off the screen. I, you're starting to get nervous too because you're like, why is she nervous if she he knows? They, they are in contact, but they haven't seen each other in a while. They don't talk as often, so... And maybe he, she's nervous because maybe he doesn't like having guests that he doesn't know. He doesn't know how he's going to react, despite the fact that he clearly knows someone's coming to meet him. They go there. He's written a note on his window. He's not answering his door. He's obviously in the house. Or maybe he's not in the house. Either way, he, he's not answering the door. He's written a note. And she's reading it. And it, it relates to her husband and place that they used to frequent. And she just breaks down. And you're breaking down with her. It doesn't matter if you like this woman, know this woman, the hurt in her eyes and like the tremble in her voice. It's like impossible not to feel something. Whether you know who Gadot is at all, it's just someone who's hurt someone. It's a lot for you too. I don't know how you feel about this scene. First, how you feel about it, and then we can get into what you think his intention was. Yeah, no, when we first saw it, I remember just being absolutely shocked. And this time, Yes, I hadn't remembered that there was previous communications that he clearly knew she was coming. And I'd also forgotten about this little um, message he leaves for her, which, yes, relates to a place, some restaurant that she and Godar and Demi used to go and eat at together. But apparently this was also a message that he had sent her when Jack Demi had died. And it was sort yeah. of his only communication with her. Once uh, he had died, and this was, you know, her husband of thirty plus years, and and, and him being a friend of, of of that long, and so just not giving her any kind of, you know, sincere condolences for the loss of her partner, mm-hmm. and to use and weaponize those words again when she is coming in good faith. As far as we know, again, we we don't know her, their relationship. Like we are, we are getting this very one sided, of course. But yeah, I'm choosing to uh, be very much on Varda's side here, <laughs> based on based on everything we see, and to use those words. And he also names a, one of her movies is so gut wrenching, and it's so personal. It's so it's almost evil. Yeah. Because it's one thing to be like, yes, I'll meet you on 930 and not show up 
or just never answer the door. But to go the extra step of writing this note that he know will only affect her because anyone else reading it, gibberish, mm-hmm. it means nothing. He knows it will affect her and hurt her. It's devious. It's malicious. It's it's so unbelievably vile. And she's so right to call him a dirty rat, not only once, but twice. And it really colors your opinion of Ghadar as a filmmaker and as a person as well. Use your grown-up words. If you didn't want to meet, you could have told her. If you didn't want to be part of the project, you could have told her. Use your words. What are we? Like, it's so childish. And it makes me sad thinking about it and seeing her face fall as she reads this note. And she's like, I went to your fucking favorite bakery and Mm. I brought you pastries and this is what you do. And she leaves them for him, which is even like queen behavior, truly, and writes him a note back. And I think she's like, this was so hurtful. And I I love that she writes him back. I love that she's like, fuck this. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. I need you to know what you've just done to me right now. And then leaves. It's like, okay, you're not going to play. Then why am I staying here? It's by far the most impactful part because it's really, you know, as much as I said, you know, there were parts of the film that I wasn't sure how scripted they were, how organic they were. This felt so violently real. The main thing I do recall from the movie, though, I unfortunately didn't want to associate the whole thing with Ghadar, but yeah, I know. <laughs> it is a it is a huge part of the heart of the of film. I also don't want to associate the film with Ghadar, but it's it's hard not to because like I said, whether you even know who he is or not, you can see how it affected her and it is malicious. Because if he didn't want to be part of the film, that's totally valid. He didn't need to write that note. He could have said, like, I will totally meet you and JR off camera. I don't think they would have been like, no, it needs to be on camera. I think she knew that he wanted to meet him. So he'd be happy to do it any sort of way. It was a note. It's the look on her face. And you've spent so much time with this woman being so caring towards other people and genuinely caring. And for it to end with her being hurt so deeply by someone she's known for so long. And in that way, because he could have, if he wanted to write her note, it could have been something just for her, but he's invoking her dead husband also in this. And it's like, why are you doing that? JR asks her, do you think he intentionally tried to hurt you or he's writing these words not realizing? But then she's like, no, he's written these words to me before and he's doing it again. Why do that to someone? And it's like, if you don't like her, you should have said that. You should never suggest. You're allowed to change your mind. Mm-hmm. But then to change your mind and hurt someone like that is, you know, people, myself included, I, I like, I like his work. I like a lot of his work. There's a lot of stuff that also fucking pisses me off. <laughs> but he has a person. I don't know, man. He's, well, RIP. He's gone. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone now. He's the complete opposite of her. He's someone who does not like people, clearly. And that's fine. You don't need to like people. But 
he goes out of his way to kind of tell people he doesn't like them. And I think that shows also in his work because some of his work is like kind of aggressive. He's closed off. He's closed off and she is an open book. Literally, they are confronted with a closed metal gate. That is the first thing that like they they see. It's like immediately shut off, immediately. And she is the exact opposite. And it, it makes you wonder about, you know, how they related to each other as they were Mm -hmm. going through their careers, being of such sort of diametrically opposite philosophies and the way that they seem to approach their artistic projects. What I do like and what I really appreciate of JR and that whether it was like, I don't know, but it seemed genuine where he's obviously trying to console her as any decent human being would be. And he says to her, what can I do? You see someone's hurt, but you genuinely don't know what to do to help them. And I like that question of being like, what can I do? You know, obviously it was discussion what they were going to do with that final scene, but it worked so beautifully. And what he does is take off his glasses. But what we're seeing is blurred because her vision is blurred. And I thought that was just so beautiful. It made me exceptionally emotional because I was like, we don't need to see him. I don't really care what he looks like, to be honest. It's the gesture of that. I'm going to pass it off to you to tell me how you feel about that final scene. It's exquisite. It's it's like, it's true. Go through this whole emotional journey with her being completely denied access to her friend. And she has this new friend that reminds her of this old friend. And he is like, how can I help you? And what can I do for you right now? Because your old friend hurt you, but I don't, I am not him and I am not here to harm you. And I know that there is this one thing that you've wanted for me to do and it's to take off my glasses. And again, one a thorough point through line of the entire movie was I'm Sparta's vision. She's She can't see as well. As a filmmaker, first of all, I can't imagine how painful that is, how difficult that is. The entire movie, she's talking about how her eyes are getting blurred. We see it in the you know scene where she gets her a needle in the eye we see it in the mm-hmm. scene where they recreate an eye chart for her and to have jr take off his glasses as this ultimate gift to agnes and for her and for us to see it the way that she sees it as blurry is just perfection it is just perfect because we should not see it any other way I should not see JR's eyes. I should see it exactly the way that she experienced it. And that was just, it's just beautiful. It's so, it's, it's genius. I can't imagine the film ending any other way. And no matter how you feel about the rest of the film, that moment specifically is just otherworldly to me. I think this space is places for you. I think we've covered it. And we were pretty nice to Godard. I was ready to fight. Yeah. But then I got emotional. So you know, the emotions got the better of me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's more my desire to love Varda versus mm-hmm. fight Godard. Yeah. That I will, I will stay on the side of um, love and light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do believe that... And and I sent you this screenshot yesterday. Yeah. That he was in some sort of Instagram live or some sort of live where people were messaging him in the comments, like, why don't you open your door to Agnes Varda? <laughs> so he he in his 90s was like getting shit. And you know what? I appreciate that. Same. That is feminism. Truly. 
What a great career. Mm-hmm. This is the final and last episode of my Varda series. And I think it's just the perfect one to bookend this with and the perfect person to talk to about it because I love you. And we also have a relationship to this film. So I'm going to pass it now to the last segment, which is uh, end credits. So I have two questions that I ask everyone. So the first one is, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, Jane, I've never seen a Varda film before. Where do I start? Do you recommend this one to start with? If so, why? And if not, which Varda film would you recommend? I think this is such an excellent intro to Varda because it shows you little bits and pieces of her older work. It shows you Cleo. It shows you that short film that she does inside of Cleo. It shows you her photography. It shows you what inspired her. You you see her at the end of her career, at the end of her life, after having completed and accomplished all of these things but it's still an introduction to her as an artist as a director it doesn't feel like the final chapter it feels Mm -hmm. like an opening to someone who might want to learn more about French New Wave or cinema female directed cinema that they may never have known to even look at so like as much as it's easy to say no you you know you've got to start with Cleo you got to start with these other options I do think for the novice regular moviegoer who might find some of her other stuff challenging at first if you're not used to that kind of style Mm -hmm. absolutely this is the perfect way because you get you get so much warmth and love and it's just a sweet sweet film that even if you are not a person who loves film and like admires film and researches film like we do you can still get so much out of it so i think this is a great entry point to varda i think that's a perfect answer it's it's funny when i but when i start off i usually have in my mind what my starter film would be because for me it's usually would typically be the same answer and everyone else is different but every time i've done a film with someone I'm like, oh, maybe this is like the best starter film. I think it's just because she puts so much of herself into everything that like any film could be the best one to start with. And you totally get her. As you said, audiences who are trying to get into different types of films or need something that's maybe more visually accessible. This is a great place to start because it's like you're not being taken out of your element because like it's shot on digital. You know, it's visually what you're used to nowadays. Yeah, it's contemporary. Yeah, I think this also would be a great starting point. And I'm sure it was probably for some people who, because when it came out, like she was getting back into like, you know, wider audience because she was nominated for an Oscar at that point. So some people were probably like, I just hearing about her and then tracking back. That's always interesting when you know, people get into someone towards the, the, the latter part of their career and track back. Second question is the double bill question. If you're making a double bill for yourself or someone else, what film are you pairing this one with? Okay, well, I can give the probably the obvious uh, one, mm-hmm. which is to start with La Plante Courte and end with Faces Places. You really are going from point A to point Z. You're going, Z? Who am I? Is she American? Jesus. <laughs> Z. <laughs> So you're really going from A to Z. You are going and seeing her very first film and it shows off like her unique framing style. Like it it Mm -hmm. really like things that, you know, you associate with French New Wave and even like you associate with um, like Bergman. There's some stuff in there. Like it's so influential. Mm -hmm. Just the way that she frames faces. It's so beautiful. 
I was thinking if I were putting this on and I was thinking about movies that you and I have seen together, I thought it would be kind of funny to pair it with Whitnell and I. And the reason being is it's sort of another, like, this is a buddy movie. As much as it's like a road movie, it is a buddy movie. And Whitnell and I is a buddy movie. And instead of being in the French countryside, we're in the English countryside. And, you know, dealing with these, like, small adventures that these two characters go through. So I thought that could be kind of an interesting, very sardonic, like, dry movie mixed with this lovely wholesome sweet (laughs) documentary um but when you brought up road movies it also made me think of our boy Vim vendors and just thinking about different journeys that people take and vignettes and i just watched his five-hour epic until the end of the world but it's also a road movie it is Mm -hmm. like you're getting these short little vignettes of this woman having her adventures and meeting all these different people. And it's on such a massive scale, like grand scale. She's literally going all across the world. I can't imagine, you know, the amount of time and and money. I know it was huge budget for the time. And there is something to, if you have, you know, you know, seven hours in your day, (laughs) you can can do this as a double feature, but there is, I think they complement each other again in a way of just like the road movie can can look like anything and it can Mm -hmm. be just you know taking your little van across france or can be traveling to australia to berlin to all these different places but you're still having these little stories and slices of life it's so amazing what film can be it's so amazing and there's so many ways that this movie can mix and match with other ones (laughs) i love all those choices when you brought up with nell and i i knew immediately you were talking buddy movie but then i hadn't thought about it as a buddy movie like uh faces places i was like that's perfect also because it is a buddy movie it's just, they are just they and they talk about their friendship and their their dynamic comes through the film i went the road movie approach and i'm glad that you brought wonders up that's just us being you know film bros gotta do the wonders <laughs> and the one i picked for this was kings of the road from the the road trilogy i don't know it was just the first one that came up because it's like a dude just traveling around doing his thing and i don't know it's the first thing that i thought of for this movie because at the end of the day, like, I don't know, road movies are one of my favorite types of films. And I think you get so much out of them and it tells so much about the characters. And sad that we didn't get more road movies from Varda because I think that's like perfect for her. And she did it in her other documentaries, but, you know, I'm sure she would have given us so many more. So yeah, those are all great double bills and even pairing it with one of her own films is great. I just want people to watch more Varda films, to be honest. Oh, oh yeah. That's that's the end goal here is yes. to get everyone a Criterion subscription. Yes. Um, just just get that going because you'll never regret that one. That's a that's a good one. Like Netflix comes and goes, whatever mm-hmm. Criterion lasts a lifetime. Legit. Just explore. There's so much there. There's so there's so much beauty and art and so many amazing things. And I'm so excited to finally have my evenings and weekends free to be able to mm-hmm. watch more movies. I've been slaving away at a three year master's degree. 
and I'm almost finished. <laughs> right. Can Congrats. All the Varda I can, I can handle. There you go. That's the best way to reward yourself. But to wrap things up, I thank you so much for being the perfect partner in crime to wrap up Varda Month. I think, you know, this is just such a great way to really talk about the breadth of her career and who she is and the effect that she has on people. But especially, not especially, but for young women who went to film school, you know, it's nice to see <laughs> that it was possible whether we are working in film or not, we're still film scholars to this day. She's a great big important part of that so thank you so much for coming i really appreciate it i am honored to be a part of this journey i am honored that you wanted me here and that we get to spend time to talk about things that we love it makes me so happy to think about all the other movies that you and i have seen together in the past and all the movies we have yet to see together and Mm -hmm. our our film journey is only just truly beginning there's there's so there's so many things to see and enjoy and it's always a pleasure going to the movies with someone who loves it as much as you do so thank you for having me (laughs) Seeing Faces in Movies is the official podcast of the Aurora Film Club. It's hosted and edited by Felicia Maroney, intro music by Lamar Walker, and additional help from Diane McGrath. If you like what you heard, let us know at seeingfacesinmovies.com or send us an email at seeingfacesinmovies at gmail.com. And while you're at it, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcast. And thanks for joining me for Anya's Writer Month.